Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick. You can find us at HyperClean Specialists on Facebook, hypercleanstore.com. Going to get right into it this week, recording a little early on a Friday, got some customer deliveries and things to take care of, but let's talk about the week. Had a Ferrari 812 super fast in the shop for a replacement of hood damage. PPF did its job. We also had a Ferrari F8 delivered Monday. We also got a brand new Raptor delivered from the East Coast out here to Vegas for a customer on Monday as well. Actually got here late Sunday night. So quite a bit busy just in the delivery and uh, and Ferrari space, actually. But let's talk about the 812. So we did a full hood replacement. We never did the front end. We never did the hood on this. It came with PPF done by a major brand who has a corporate office. You guys can do the math. Two things really make you laugh on this when we started to pull up the PPF. And it's all too common in PPF world right now. And I know guys are starting to listen to us more in the PPF world. I don't want this to be offensive, but this is just the facts of what we're finding. A lot of people are using the wrong film in the wrong area. This hood is massive. You need, let's just call it, to do it properly, somewhere around a 72-inch by 72-inch piece to bulk this hood properly. Let's just use those numbers because it's pretty accurate. They didn't do that. They took a 60-inch roll. They stretched it to the top of the, <laughs> of the hood and then cut small triangle pieces to fill out the very sharp point of the, the, the front of the hood or the, the top of the hood. As if that wasn't bad enough, when we got everything pulled up, we realized that when they cut that piece, they cut the paint on both sides. That's bad. But let me give you a worse part that I'm seeing in the PPF world, and, and let's just have some fun with it. We start to pull up <laughs> this, this hood. The middle of it pulls up fine, right? Use a little steam, use a little heat, use a little hot water. All good. Pulls up easy reputable brand they got a corporate office here you figured out who's doing corporate installations in your area it's only one brand it's all good man the entire perimeter all around the edges the entire hood we couldn't get the adhesive up you want to know why adhesive promoter completely unnecessary to use adhesive promoter all around a hood of any kind I've never seen one in my whole entire career that needs adhesive promoter. We see little times, you know, there's some F-250 hoods. There's some times where little spots, little tiny spots on very, very few cars, adhesive promoter can be defended. But this is the funny thing about the PPF world as I get deeper into it and we start to, to, to peel back some of the, the reasons that I actually do it. When I took the pictures and I showed my customer, he just shook his head and he should shake his head because what do you need adhesive promoter on a fairly easy install? Well, that's just business as usual. 
And I'm not going to pick on that brand because I'm going to tell you it happens in independent shops all the time. Well, we don't want the edges to come up, so we just use adhesive promoter on everything. Well, let me ask this question. We have a big detailing crowd that listens to us, obviously. What happens if we go to remove this adhesive and the adhesive remover starts to peel back paint because now it's so aggressively on there? The PPF was not the reason that paint would have been pulled. But everybody would have looked at it and gone, well, you know, if you don't put PPF on it, you don't have this problem, right? The craziest thing to me is how it's kind of accepted. PPF world, I'm in a lot of PPF groups, been invited to, to talk to a lot of people in the PPF world. They don't ever talk about this. We're finding adhesive promoter all the time when we pull a piece. I mean, how are we in this position in the PPF world? Don't know. But the PPF adhesive is good enough throughout a million different brands that you shouldn't have any reason for 99.99999% of the time you put film down, you shouldn't need promoter. And then what's the long-term effects if this 812 had had this film on there for a long time? I'm almost certain with the amount of promoter that we found had to be on this car, you would have pulled paint around the whole edge of this of this hood. Lucky, the customer took damage. This came off, let's just say within a year or two of it being applied, we got a break. It's on there five, six years. There's no doubt in my mind, the amount of promoter and the amount of adhesive that was stuck on this paint, we would have definitely, definitely, definitely seen paint pulled completely unnecessary matter of fact the parts where it could have been defended there's two hood scoops on either side of the hood you could have defended a dab of adhesive promoter there over adhesive promoter on the edge of the hood still not defensible but we didn't find any promoter there doesn't even make sense and so this idea that you know the people and by the way this this company teaches all the installers it's a corporate store. How is this possible? Well, because when you do cheap work and you can't even use a 72-inch roll when you produce film, so to speak, even though you don't, it's a problem. I don't understand not doing something right if it's on a Honda Civic. But on a Ferrari 812, you got two tiny triangle pieces at the top of the hood because you don't want to use a 72-inch roll. It's bizarre behavior bizarre behavior and i already know some spots that they put adhesive promoter because there's some tough stuff on this bumper on each side of the bumper got to be filled with adhesive promoter so this is now in the customer file of if we ever have to pull that i'm going to tell my customer expect a repaint it was an unbelievable thing to find every inch of the perimeter of that hood had had adhesive promoter we didn't leave hardly any other adhesive on that hood except for completely the border. So we have to go rapid remover, then, you know, uh, you know, uh, used a hyper clean wipe to, to prep the surface. We actually took it out and used cleanse after we used wipe. Uh, then we came back and wiped it again. I don't love when that much adhesive is around the edge. So we really went cautious and we worked on that. The cleanup of the hood took longer than us putting the hood down, getting it wrapped, get everything cut. 
the, the, the removal of that stuff took a lot longer than us laying the hood. We completely tucked every edge. We don't have these random triangle pieces at the top because we use the right thing. It looks flawless. Probably for me, one of our, our, our really proud moments in PPF because we had such big cleanup. I thought for sure, for sure, we would see contamination under the film. We have no contamination. It's a great install. Appreciate the team on that. And, and like I said, to see this so much adhesive promoter being used, the PPF world's got to speak up. Got to speak up. We're going to have some serious cars. You know, think about that Tesla paint. You use adhesive promoter on that, you're pulling paint. I mean, you, you might pull the whole hood up. <laughs> I mean, it's just nuts. We also had an F8 Ferrari delivered. I want to kind of talk about this customer. This customer is somebody that if I ran into these type of customers five, seven, eight years ago, I, I would have hurt my business and did hurt my business when I ran into these type of people. But I, I find this as an interesting topic, and I want to share it with all of you. This guy gets a delivery, calls me up, starts to talk. Now, if I had taken personal delivery of this vehicle for the customer, I would have given him a recommendation. It's very simple. Let's get the car prepped. Ferrari is known for sanding marks. Let's do a quick one step uh, around the car that we're not going to PPF. So let's call it door backwards, whatever. If we got severe sanding marks on the hood, that's fine. We can clear those up pretty quick. But, you know, I'm not a fan of just cutting paint for the sake of cutting paint. But let's just say I know after we analyzed the car, but I knew before, Ferrari always needs a good complete one step because of, of their factory issues. So here we are. That's what I would have said. Then I would have said full front. Probably on this car, I would have said track package to get some of the lower, uh, the lower panels, et cetera, covered. We then would have ceramic coated the entire car, including over the film, and we'd have been good to go. It's always funny to deal with clients that never ask your opinion, and it also can be extremely frustrating. So how did this customer handle it? Well, he's one of those guys that wants to tell you what to do. So I get a phone call. It's always frantic. Got a, got a new Ferrari, uh, just got it delivered, uh, sent the other Ferrari to my other house, and uh, I need you to come get it cleaned up. Oh, uh, okay, we'll do that. Never once asking what we should do to the car, he goes into what he wants done. He wants a simple interior, exterior, light coating package. Let's call it slick, not even coating. It's probably a misuse of the word. We have some products and testing that I can throw on there that are a little bit more longevity. But he doesn't want my opinion. He wants to tell me what to do. And that can get very frustrating, even working on normal cars, expensive cars, it doesn't matter. These kinds of guys are really frustrating to work with. Let me tell you how I've gotten better at it. Okay, we're going to do a new car, simple prep. We'll be out at your house tomorrow. I had guys in that neighborhood already. We're going to slide by and get this. We're going to do a two to $300 service on the car. He never even asked price. What he doesn't want to do is spend 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, because that's not what he sees fit. He's Mr. Know-it-all. 
How do we deal with Mr. Know-it-alls? It's really tough. Number one, don't give your opinion. I sat on the end of the call, other end of the call and said, we got a package that fits that. So I told my guys step-by-step what we were going to do. Should it be different? Yeah, if it was my car, it wouldn't be treated this way. I've said this to people all the time. You think that you're going to do high-end cars and magically you're going to do two, four, six, $8,000 services. That's just not the case if you're doing a lot of them. There's plenty of people that call up, know that we do full PPF wraps. They have a Ferrari and they're, they want to do, hey, can you shampoo my carpets? If you think that only happens in the mom minivan, it doesn't. It happens in the high end. And I love when people who don't really do very many exotics tell me how all exotic owners act. Go to a used car exotic lot. Okay. Go to your local Ferrari dealership. Go to your local McLaren. Go to your local Bentley. Tell me how many of those cars are in tip top shape. Not very many. Go to a Rolls Royce dealership. You would think, man, I'm going to go in there. Paint's going to be flawless. Not at all. So if everybody did everything right in the exotic market, we should go to dealerships and go, damn, they're killing it. Look how great that looks. Largely, you never see that. Most of those cars need a ton of work upon trade-in. Because most of the exotic market is still not going to spend a five thousand dollars to get the car right from the factory and then they got to maintain it so we live in this world which i think is pretty again i just find it interesting there's many people and many detailers especially that have been very frustrated with this guy i would have been very frustrated with this guy five seven years ago now we made our money we worked on the car for around an hour my guys love that type of work. It's very easy to, to do a new car cleanup. I think we charge, I had to look through my guys' paperwork. I think we charged $350 for the service. Took us an hour. Find something that fits your business for these know-it-all customers. Because they're going to come to your business. And, and more than likely, I think we talked about it inside my company with my guys, about 10% of people are like this. We find this a lot with the stay-at-home parent. They want to exert control over the detailer, the landscaper, because they don't. that's their job, right? Their job is be stay-at-home. And so those are the people a lot of times you'll see with this behavior. You know, what are you doing to my car? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? They'll watch something on the internet, right? And they'll just be a know-it-all. How do we deal with a know-it-all? Again, I would never, ever, ever treat my Ferrari the way this guy did, but I don't treat my BMW that way. I don't treat our Lexus that way. You guys don't treat your vehicles that way. But there's got to be a time that we remove ourselves and go, hey, man, what can we do for you? Oh, I, I just want it cleaned up. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. Right. A very wealthy guy that has 2% of the information he should have on this subject. But his whole persona is telling everyone what to do. That's not every wealthy person we deal with, but it's a percentage. And if 10% act that way, I don't want to lose 350 bucks an hour, do you? But many of us do. And I did previously in my career because I'm like, well, I don't want to just do that. This guy needs to do this. This guy needs to. No, no, he doesn't need any of it. So how do we take this wealthy person, put a 
very expensive, simple service on him. 350 bucks for what we did is an expensive price. And I'm only sharing that because we had to fit him into a special part of our schedule. We had to go out of our way. And we were doing exactly what he told us to do. And again, wouldn't do it if he listened to me. That car would have been in here properly taken care of. He would have a completely different car experience. Now I look at these people, and I'll finish this story on this, and I feel bad for him. Not, I mean, he owns a Ferrari. How bad can you feel? But he doesn't ever get to experience a high-class Ferrari in perfect shape, well-maintained, well-taken care of, well-protected. He just has a different experience than that. And I take solace in that. Hey, man, my BMW is in way better shape than your Ferrari. I'm very happy about that. Because I listen to experts in my life, and this guy doesn't. I've talked to a billion people that do business with him. This is who he is. He's going to tell you what to do. Find a way to make money on these know-it-alls instead of getting upset by them. And take it from me, I've gotten upset at these people in my early career. Don't get upset. It's like the old adage, don't get mad, get even. Instead of getting mad, find a service that really fits you to make a lot of money on these know-it-all customers and also make them feel in control. If I do that, it's a successful relationship with this personality type. That's how they act. You're not going to change them. So you do your thing, you make your money, you move on. My guys made a killing on that job. They'll take a hundred of those a week. Easy on my guys, easy on my business, a win for us that I could have turned into non-existent by getting mad. And I have before. Take it from me. To finish off the podcast today, I'm going to talk about Cadillac's big unveiling of their Celestique sedan. I saw this sedan in a private event at a, a prototype, I should say, about 18 months ago. I got to tell you, it's pretty badass. But it's a lesson in stay in your lane. I don't know too many people, and we have a lot of wealthy clients that text me laughing out loud about this car, that are looking to drive a $300,000 Cadillac EV sedan. It's just not that brand. Now, we've seen this throughout car history. Hyundai Equus was a great luxury sedan. Nobody wants to pay hundred grand or eighty-five grand for a Hyundai. Hyundai's going through this now with the Genesis brand. A GV80 is nice. Looked at them for my family. I'm not paying sixty-five to eighty-five thousand dollars for a for a Hyundai. Forty-five to fifty seems right. When you say eighty-five thousand for a Hyundai, it doesn't sound right. When you say three hundred thousand dollars for a Cadillac, it doesn't sound right. Now let me get this out in the open. Cadillac is one of the top luxury brands that's being sold, but it's not ultra luxury. It's luxury. And there's a very big difference. In my opinion, Rolls Royce is ultra luxury. Range Rover is luxury. Okay. There's a very big divide there. And let me give an example. Cadillac's jumping into the $300,000 sedan market. Fine. It is what it is. We'll talk about that more. Pebble Beach this year at the Range Rover event 
Range Rover released, I believe, 10 to 15 ultra-exclusive Range Rovers. Now, I want to remind people about Range Rover. Range Rover is the, the absolute company that's done luxury SUV the best for the longest. They basically invented the space. Their design is unmatched. Forget the engine quality. Let's move that out. The way it looks, where it's positioned, it is a luxury SUV brand. And it's the best one out there, in my opinion, from design. Here's the crazy part. SVR, uh, all these different special, really fast Range Rovers and, and autobiographies and all these other things that we've taken care of, the price tag never hit $300,000. 240, 220, 260. The first time Range Rover has ever released an above $300,000 SUV was literally just months ago at this event in Carmel at Pebble Beach when they do the Carmel edition that you had to be at the party to be able to reserve your spot and buy one. Ultra, ultra, ultra rare. But I think some of the proceeds or all the proceeds are going to the Carmel, you know, save Carmel uh, fund or whatever it is about the ocean and the, and whatever they're doing up there. Range Rover doesn't sell a $300,000 vehicle. When you look at Range Rover, do you think it's more luxurious than Cadillac? No doubt about it. In my opinion, they basically invented the luxury SUV market. And they have never had a $300,000 SUV until this special edition, which some of it's going to charity. And it's been within the last couple months. So Range Rover's done something really well that they never get credit for. Stay in their lane. We're going to build eighty-five dollars to $150,000 luxury SUVs. We're going to design them better than anybody. We're going to make them look better than anybody. It's tough to build a great-looking SUV, but they've done it. And even the redesign on the ones being released now looks awesome. They've done it better than anybody. And they stayed in their lane better than almost anybody. Here's Cadillac's idea. You know, we sell a lot of cars to the upper middle class. The ultra wealthy have largely moved, meaning the people that have drivers, drive them around to events or drive them to work or whatever. All of my clients in that boat have moved to Lincoln, the black label edition. They're not in Escalades anymore. They're in Lincoln Navigator black label. So from a luxury standpoint in SUVs, luxury standpoint as a brand, I'd put Lincoln above Cadillac. Now, I don't have brand loyalty, so I'm not going to be the guy that goes, oh, well, you know, I love Cadillac more than Just get in a Lincoln Navigator and get in a Cadillac Escalade. One feels luxurious. The other one doesn't. Cadillac has a seat problem. That's why I think it doesn't feel so. I hate their seat design. It's, it's horrific. It's too stiff. You get into a Navigator, you go, yeah, this is pretty damn nice. This feels luxurious. Okay, so anyway, by the way, I love Cadillac sedans. The CT4V, the CT5V, I've, I've told you guys how much I love those. But Cadillac has done a really bad job of understanding the marketplace it should play in for a very long time. It was going all in on sedans when all the buyers were buying midsize SUVs. That's, that's you can go... Watch that happen. That's documented. Huge brand mistake. 
They had the Q system, huge brand mistake. And now everybody wants to tell me how Cadillac's going to sell a bunch of $300,000 sedans. And there was all this hubbub this week. Oh, this is unbelievable. This has more features than any luxury. Great. It could be the best car in the world. People that buy $300,000 cars don't buy Cadillac for their $300,000 car. They may own a Cadillac SUV for the nanny. But even in most of our houses that have those types of setups, those have switched to Navigator. We live in a funny time in a funny world where staying in your lane is looked as an, at as a negative. The ultra wealthy really don't drive around in Cadillacs. And now you're trying to be in the ultra wealthy market. That's dominated largely by Rolls Royce, by Bentley. Maybe, maybe we'll see some action on the Ferrari SUV, although I doubt it. Urus, which I think has gotten a lot more play than people think it has. It's been fairly damn successful. But if I have $300,000 and I say out loud to everybody listening, are you going to buy a Cadillac? Just say it out loud. I'm not buying it. $300,000 to spend. I'm going to get this new Cadillac, uh, all electric, because it's got a 52-inch wide screen. I mean, that's kind of cool. The infotainment goes from one side to the other. The Mercedes EQS is in the same boat. So that's going to you know, wash away, and all of a sudden, that's going to be how everything is built in the luxury market. So that's, that's going to be Rolls-Royce or Cadillac. Bentley or Cadillac. I'll even say it this way, AMG S600 or Cadillac. You can tell me about the bells and whistles, but at some point we got to stay in our lane. And the way that this relates to detailing is the same thing. Man, if you're killing it in the middle of the market, that middle-class mom and dad, and you're, you got great services and you're making a lot of money, stay in your lane. Not everybody's meant to do business on the high end. Not everybody's meant to do business on the low end. Not everybody's meant to do business in the middle. You got to find a place. And this is Cadillac to me, to a T. They can't figure out where they need to be doing business. And Cadillac is seen as a luxury brand and a very, very, very successful luxury brand for a lot of years. But now it's saying we're not only luxury, we're ultra luxury. And we're going to take on Rolls-Royce. Say it out loud. Does it make sense to you? And I know what everybody's thinking. They're going to say, you know, oh, well, this, is, this will be a success. They'll tell us it's, yeah, they'll tell you it's a success. No doubt about it. Is it going to be a success? No chance. Been wrong about things in my life, but I can tell you, I don't have a single customer that can afford $300,000 vehicles that's texted me and said, get me on the waiting list. EQS got announced. I got three of them right now. Think about it. I don't even think for the customers of mine that drive Model S Plaid that they would think about this. Now, I get it. It's 100000 or so, $115,000, $150,000 difference, but they could, the customers of mine that could afford that difference, they're not going to leave Model S Plaid. 
even if they discount these, which is going to end up happening, they're going to do a steep discount and they're going to try to sell these to some people. You'll see maybe some celebrities driving them around because they give them away. I just don't see where anybody understands that I want to buy a $300,000 Cadillac. And this is just a great lesson in staying in your lane. Cadillac has lost sight several times over the last decade. I get what everybody's going to say. Oh, they're not putting much into this. Yes, they did. They put a lot of resources around developing this vehicle. Resources that we all could, the middle tier of their products, the middle SUVs, the mid-sized SUVs, not up to design. They're not luxurious. Those need a redesign. They could have spent the money there. They spent the money here. It's a great lesson to me and me staying in my lane. I don't do well on the low end. There's a lot of people that make money there. I got to stay where I make money. And Cadillac, this seems like it's really cool. I'll love to drive one. I'd love to see one. I'd love to see a finish, you know, off the line. I'd love to experience it. But there's no way I'm paying $300,000. And I think it's a great lesson for every business owner out there to do this. Stay in your lane. There's a lot of money in your lane. Don't worry about everybody else's. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.